Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. And judgment is turned away backward. And justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street. And iniquity or equity, cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, And his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with the zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. Fury to his adversaries. Recompense to his enemies. To the islands he will repay recompense. I want you to notice verse 7. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. And a helmet of salvation upon his head. And I just want to speak for the next little while with the Lord's help from this subject. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. We need the Lord's help here today. We want his anointing in the remainder of this service. How many wants the Lord to help you and speak to you? Minister to you. Touch your heart. Amen. If you do, why don't you lift up your hands and let's pray together right now. That the Spirit of the Lord would have its way in the remainder of our service and time together this morning. Jesus We look to you, we desire you, we're praying, God, that you would help us. We're praying, God, for your direction, your strength, your guidance, your touch, your anointing most of all. We need you to intervene in the remainder of our time here. In Jesus' name, we thank you and praise you for it. Would you clap your hands and praise to the Lord? Thank you for standing. You may be seated. In his conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well of Jacob just outside the city of Samaria, Jesus spake many powerful truths to her. There was no question that this woman was guilty of many transgressions against the Lord. But Jesus took time to speak to this woman And I think that is a very powerful point this morning that Jesus always takes time, creates 
scenarios and situations where he can deal with so that he can move upon so that he can minister to people that are in need and he knew that this would possibly be misunderstood by his followers his disciples so he in a very interesting action uh, sent all of them all 12 of them to go ahead into the city and purchase lunch And that, again, is a peculiar action of the Lord, that he would send them, all of them, so that he could spend time ministering to this lady because he knew that they would not understand. And when he came upon this lady at the well, she was there, of course, at an odd time, and the Lord, being omniscient, knew that she would be there at that particular time, and so... He set it aside to be there himself. And he asked her to give him to drink. And she, understanding the the culture, understanding the uh, breach that was between the Samaritans and the Jews, she said, how is it that you being a Jew would ask me, a Samaritan, to give you to drink? And he began to explain to her, woman, if you knew who I was, if you had a revelation of who I am, uh, you would not, I would not be asking you, but rather you would be asking me for a drink. And she said, what do you mean? You, you know, you don't even have anything to draw water with. And the well is deep. Uh, This is Jacob's well. This has been here a long time. This is been one that we have drank from for years and generations and we know this well it's very deep this is not something that is going to be easy for you to do without the proper equipment and he began to explain to her that he was not talking about a natural well but rather he was speaking of a living water he was speaking of a well that was springing up into everlasting life And as he began to explain in detail to her these things, she said, give me to drink of this water. And uh, he makes an interesting statement here. It's very fascinating to me and something that we need to comprehend this morning. He said, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And, you know, given the situation, that, that seems like uh, a very uppity statement, to put it mildly. That, and it almost seems like a condescending statement that he's making to her. But salvation is of the Jews. And this is an important statement for us to understand because truly salvation is of the Jews. The idea of salvation, the very concept of salvation it originated with the Jewish people they were the first ones that would know the salvation or have the salvation of the Lord extended to them God revealed this first to their fathers Abraham Isaac and Jacob whether it was with a ram rustling caught in the thicket that would provide as a substitute for Isaac who lay on the altar, or if it was a Red Sea that parted so that the entire multitude 
of Israel could go across on dry ground. And when they got to the other side, according to this, they didn't even have mud on their shoes. Amen. That's how completely God delivered them. Salvation is of the Jews. Whether it be the three Hebrew children that were cast into the fiery furnace that was seven times hotter than it had began. And uh, when they were cast in, there was a witness that stood there and even the king uh, looked into the fire and said, There is three that we threw in, but I see a fourth man that is like unto the Son of God. Amen. Salvation is of the Jews. Or maybe we could talk about Daniel who would refuse to stop praying at the king's decree, even though it was written at the law of the Medes and the Persians. In other words, it could not be revoked. It could not be changed. It was set. And whatever was decreed would be. And so there was no way out of it. It's not like you could go in a court of appeal and, and change or find mercy uh, the law that was decreed. Whatever the punishment was that was decreed, that was what was going to be. But Daniel decided that I'm going to trust God rather than man. And he continued to open his windows towards the city of Jerusalem as his custom was. And he prayed unabashedly, unashamedly. He prayed. And then when he was found, he was arrested thrown into the lion's den, but God shut the mouths of the hungry lions that were there. And when the king come calling the next morning, he, he was able to answer him and tell him that the Lord had delivered him from the lion's den. Amen. Salvation is of the Jews. Uh, we could talk about Gideon. Gideon who faced the Midianites who were numbered. Their army was as the sands of the seas. In other words, they could not be really counted. There were so many of them. And uh, such a great multitude. And Gideon was down to just 300 men, but he had someone on his side. Amen. I said he had somebody on his side that could be counted on. And the Scripture says that Gideon, with a pitcher over a candle... Broke the pitcher in unison with his 300 men and shouted unto the Lord. And God brought confusion upon the enemy and gave them a victory that day. Salvation is of the Jews. We could talk about Samson who had anointed strength. Amen. I don't believe that he was a large man. I don't believe that he was a man that uh, uh, had... Uh, muscles that could be seen, you know, that he was just ripped from head to toe. I don't believe that because then men would have understood. They would have known where his strength lie. But the secret was uh, we have to find where his strength is. We can tell by looking at him that it's supernatural strength that this man possesses. Uh, that he doesn't have natural strength, uh, but this is something that is given to him by God. And so he was pressed daily because of this. But he picked up a jawbone of a donkey in one occasion. And the enemy, the Philistines, came upon him. And he let their bodies heap upon heap, the Bible says. A thousand of them, all in number. 
He was able uh, to slay. Amen. And God gave him the victory. Again, reminding us that salvation is of the Jews. You see, the Jews quoted the words of the prophet Isaiah, uh, saying to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. They believe that, that he would come no matter where they found themselves, what the condition and the atmosphere, the environment was, what came against them, no matter how many the, the enemy numbered, they believe that God would come and save them. They believe that God would bring recompense against their enemy. They believe that God would come clothed in vengeance. That God would come and save them. Amen. They understood that no matter what they faced, that there were promises that they could cling to. There were covenants that were made to their forefathers by God. And they trusted in Him. Now, this does not mean that these people were always perfect. It does not mean that these people always had it together. Matter of fact, as you read through the word of the Lord, you'll find that they routinely failed God. They turned their back on God. They even went as far as worshiping uh, idols and looked to the gods of the heathens and they worshiped them. And God often had to deal with them harshly so that they would come back, so that they would return to Him. And in our text, it describes a very dismal scene and a bad situation. How that the decadence of men and the sin that existed at that time uh, had overtaken men until they were blind until they were groping around, until they, they described themselves as dead men walking. Uh, they, they, were, they were looking for hope, but they could not find it. They were looking for their recompense, and they were looking for their rescue, and they were looking for the avenger to come for them, but they could not find him. Sin had brought them to an all-time low. And as I read through this passage of Scripture, it almost seems like uh, it's, it's strangely familiar with the times that we live in today. Uh, I'm not reading here from the USA Today, although it seems like it. Uh, I'm not describing the times of the 21st century that you and I uh, live and exist in right now, although it seems like it. He said, we grope for the wall like the blind. If I could find the wall, then I could walk along the wall. and I could find direction by that. We grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. That's how dark it's gotten. We are in desolate places like dead men. We war like bears and mourn like mourn sore like doves we look for judgment but there is none for salvation but it is far from us for our transgressions are multiplied 
before thee. And our sins testify against us. And he goes on in verse 14 and says, And judgment is turned away backward. Justice standeth afar off. It's as if the Lord is aloof from us. It's as if no matter how desperate we are, he stands back away from us. And we have no one to help us. You know what the Lord was trying to reveal to them, and I'm going to preach a little further on this. He was trying to reveal to them that your strength is not found in the flesh. Your hope is not found in men. You're not going to be able to carnally uh, escape and conquer this situation. You're not going to be able to make it through in your own ingenuity, and in your own ability. But you're going to need the help of the Lord. You're going to need the Redeemer to come. You're going to need salvation because, again, salvation is of the Lord. Amen. Man can't bring salvation. People can't bring salvation. Governments cannot bring salvation. Kings, prime ministers, presidents cannot bring salvation. But salvation is the Lord's work. Salvation is of the Lord. Oh, clap your hands and let's praise the Lord together. And he keeps on talking about this. Amen. And describing this situation, how they were looking for somebody. They were looking for somebody to rise to power. They were looking for somebody that they could depend on to guide them to victory. They were looking for someone, amen, that they could call, cast their lot with that would bring them hope, but they couldn't find anybody. I want to come against this notion that anyone, any one of us, no matter who you are, how talented you are, uh, how gifted you are, how much strength that you possess, none of us have the power to save ourselves. Amen. There's only one that has the power over sin. There's only one that has the power over sickness and sadness and sorrow that exists in this world. And that is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is the powerful blood of the Lamb. That's the only thing. That's the only hope for this world. That's the only hope you have this morning. That's the only thing that's going to bring joy to your life. That's the only thing that's going to bring peace to your life. That's the only thing that's going to lift you up and elevate you from all of the chaos and the sorrow that surrounds you right now. Come on, let's lift up our voice to the Lord. Oh yeah, it's important to understand that there's power in the blood of the Lamb. We used to sing that. There's power, there's wonder-working power. Hey man, there's wonder working power. Come on, I'm not just talking about something that you can say, well, that that, that might have happened by chance, uh, or that could have occurred, uh, hey man, uh, by happenstance. Uh, that that might have happened anyway. No, when you're talking about the blood of Jesus, uh, you can't say it like that. You can't say it might have happened like that because there's people in this building today that there was no hope for. There's people in this building today that it looked like they were going down, amen, 
and there was nothing that could lift them up. But they came and they've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. They've been cleansed by that powerful blood. And you talk about wonder-working power. Amen. We look in amazement today of what God has delivered us from. We look in amazement today and testify of His goodness in our life because we know if it wasn't for the blood, we wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for the act that Jesus did at Calvary, we wouldn't be here today. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give Him a little praise. So as they looked around, amen, and they said, it doesn't look like there's anybody that can come and intervene here in this scripture. He said, I looked, I looked, and there was no man. Oh, yeah. Wondered that there was no intercessor. I looked uh, for someone to intervene. I looked for someone to stem the tide. I looked for somebody to stop the bleeding. I looked for somebody to, to build up some resistance against the enemy. There was no one trying to stop it. There was no intercessor endeavoring to in, uh, intervene. There was no resistance to the tidal surge of sin. The Lord was looking for someone to step in and stem this tide of sin. But there was no one. So you've heard the cliche that if you can't find someone to do it, just do it yourself. Amen. And I know that that is not exactly, amen, theologically correct when it comes to this particular text because I believe that everything that happened from the beginning to the end, God already had it in mind. So I don't believe that anything that happened in the Lord's ministry on this earth is by happenstance because the Bible said He was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So this was in God's plan from the time He created this world that someday I'm going to step on the world that I created in the flesh. Someday I'm going to come and I'm going to redeem man unto myself. What the law could not give them. What the law could not save. I'm going to come and be a fulfillment of the law. And I'm going to save my people from their sin. Hallelujah. 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 June the 2nd, 1995, United States Air Force Captain Scott O'Grady, while flying a F-16 over Bosnia, no-fly zone, he was shot down by Serbian forces, and his plane crashed in hostile enemy territory. And for six days, Captain O'Grady did his very level best to evade being captured by the enemy. He lived with the fear of being captured, and he knew that if they did capture him, most certainly they would strip him, torture him, and then publicly execute him. And in his biography entitled Return with Honor, he details what, was, what it was like to live those six days behind enemy lines. He recounts the lowliness and he chronicles the fears that he felt. He describes living each day uh, looking over his shoulder, knowing that the enemy would be searching for him. He realized that the United States could not risk an international conflict to save just one man. His plane was not really 
supposed to be there. Captain O'Grady said he literally felt like a dead man walking. But unbeknownst to Captain O'Grady, there was a special marine unit that was launched called TRAP. TRAP was an acronym to describe tactical recovery of aircraft and personnel. These Marines were trained to go behind enemy, enemy lines and search and rescue. And one of the most fascinating things about this team is that they would put on the enemy's uniform and they would slip behind enemy lines and they would search until they found and then they would rescue Captain O'Grady. They delivered him from hostile enemy territory and brought him back to freedom. And they saved, they saved him from something that he was incapable of saving himself from. And O'Grady's story is not unlike ours. We've all found ourselves in enemy territory. Oh yeah, lest I remind you what Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all, everybody say all, that means you, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. There's been times that we've drifted away. There's been times through our own choices and decisions we found ourselves in a lost condition. And the sin could not fix a man. Sin that, that we were dealing with and the problems that we have, we, 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 it seems like that we try to fix sin with more sin. We, we get deeper into sin. And man clearly needs a redeemer. Man cannot in himself help himself. In the Old Testament, it was uh, the law that to, to deal with sin, that uh, they would take a lamb or a turtle dove or a bullock and offer it. And that blood, it would cover sin temporarily. In other words, it would push it ahead. And, uh, but it never really truly cleansed sin. And it had to be done again. So it was one lamb after another. One sacrifice after another. And uh, it could not completely erase it. It could not completely take it away. It always lingered there. It was always crouching in the distance. It was always, it always had the propensity to come back. So God ultimately said, I am going to clothe myself in flesh. I'm going to put on the uniform of a man. And I'm going to go into that world. I'm going to go behind enemy lines. I'm going to do my part to save the man that I created. Amen. And by one man's sin, Romans 5 said, sin entered into the world. But by one man's obedience, oh, God gave us victory over sin. God gave us an answer to the sin question. God gave a solution. I'll tell you what that solution is. Amen. It's not drinking it away. It's not drugging it away. Amen. It's not even more counseling. What it is is a trip to the altar where you repent of your sins and God fills you with His Spirit and you baptize in His lovely name. Come on, let's lift up our voice and give praise to the Lord. 
It's an amazing thing. This is a carnal example. Probably shouldn't even use it. But, you know, Larry Bird was one of the greatest basketball players when I was a little boy that there was. And uh, just, just a great basketball player. And later in his career, after he retired, he became a coach. And his team that he coached was not all that great. At least nothing like he was in his own career. And uh, certain ones uh, that I knew would, would say, you know, I've often wondered if, if Larry Bird ever wanted to just, just, you know, just for a little while take that coaching suit off and put that uniform on and get in the game and do something about it when his team is losing. Because there is such a thing as a player coach. And uh, if he could get in the game, he could do something about it. Amen. He could still be the coach, but he would be the star player too. I'm going to tell you, when Jesus, when Jesus, amen, God manifest in the flesh, he was still, he was still all God. But he came and put on the form of a man, the Bible said. And he came and walked where you and I walked. He dealt with what you and I deal with. He confronted what you and I confront. Amen. The Bible said in the book of Hebrews, we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. If you've ever faced it, he's faced it. If you've ever dealt with it, you know he dealt with it. If you ever had it, amen, to conquer, you know that he had to conquer it. Amen. What I'm trying to say is, is you're not in this by yourself. You're not in this alone. You're not going through this all by yourself. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. John's gospel said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and He was the light of the world. Praise God. Down in verse 14, it says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to tell you he was the root and the offspring. He was the rose and the lily. He was the lion and the lamb. He was the first and the last. He was the alpha and the bill maker. He was the beginning and the end. He was, amen, the lamb and also the scapegoat. I'm telling somebody today that God went to Calvary through his flesh Jesus Christ and purchased our salvation. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He came to confront what no man could confront. Every sin. Romans chapter 5 again says that he reigns over sin. He came to confront every spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 21 says, For above all principalities, he's far above all principalities and powers. In other words, there's no contest. I said there's no contest. Far above all powers, principalities and powers. He come to confront fear. 
I can't think of anything that has gripped the heart of people anymore in these last days than fear. But you know, that's what the Bible said was going to happen. Men's hearts would fail them for fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 tells us that God had not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, power and love and of a sound mind. Disease. Psalms 103 and 3 says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities and healeth some of thy diseases? All of thy diseases. Amen. I'm telling you, whatever it is that you confront, whatever it is that you need to conquer, whatever it is that you're dealing with, I'm talking about a God that is able. I'm talking about a God that can. I'm talking about a God that has the power. So God suited up in human flesh. Praise the Lord. And this, this is what it's talking about here in the book of Isaiah. You know that the book of Isaiah, the, the prophet was uh, the messianic prophet. He, there's more prophecies about the coming Messiah in Isaiah than any other major prophet in the Old Testament. And he's talking about the dismal day. He's talking about these times that they're living in, yet there's one that's coming. And he's coming, he's coming to them with the uniform of a victorious conqueror. He's coming dressed for battle. I want you to listen here. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. And the helmet of salvation upon his head. We'll get back to that. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. And was clad with the zeal, with zeal as his cloak. He come with fury for his adversaries and recompense for his enemies. He come to repay, the Bible says. Amen. And so we understand that this text closely correlates with what Paul talked about in the book of Ephesians chapter number 6. And I'll read there in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Anybody feel like you've been wrestling? Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Are we living in that day that it's describing? Come on, am I missing something? Are we not living in that day that it's describing? And having done all to stand, when you've done all that you can to stand in your human strength, then you have to depend upon the ability of God to come in and give vengeance for you. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And you know, I don't know why it is, and this is kind of just a sideline, I don't know why it is, but there's some parts of the Christian armor that we prefer more than others. 
there's some parts of it that we like wearing and using more than others. I mean, you want to talk about my faith. Here's my shield of faith. Let me, let me show you my shield. And people can become so good with that shield of faith at quenching all of the darts that are coming against them. And uh, they, they become quite proficient with it. And they rely entirely upon it. And even to the point that they feel like, well, I don't need the rest as long as I can use this shield adequately. I don't need the rest of the Christian art. Why would I need a breastplate of righteousness if I can use the shield of faith so proficiently? I mean, look at, look at me. I, I'm able to see miracles. I'm able to see prayers answered. I'm able to see things happen. But you know what? It doesn't matter who you are. That shield of faith is in the hands of humanity. And therefore, God has supplied for us other parts to the armor, and which I'm going to talk about here for just a few moments. But one of them is the breastplate of righteousness. Amen. Let me just tell you something. Faith that, that is going to last in longevity is going to have to be backed up with a righteous life. I said righteousness has to be a part of our relationship with God. Not just what you do on Sunday. Not just that you are a Pentecostal on Sunday morning. Not just so you proclaim to be apostolic on the Sabbath day. Not not just so that you say I'm apostolic when it's convenient. But I want to talk about what you are 24-7. I want to talk about your breastplate of righteousness. Do you, do you have righteousness in your life? Is that a part of your your relationship with God. Because remember, your face shield is in the hands of flesh. And if there ever is a time when you grow weak and weary, amen, if you got righteousness, you'll be preserved. If you got righteousness, you'll be protected. If you got righteousness, you'll not be overcame. But here's the key. Here's the key. This is, if I understand it correctly, that, that breastplate of righteousness that is being referred to a breastplate in, in, as far as the Roman uh, soldier was concerned and maybe even going back in Isaiah's day, maybe he was looking when he was talking about this armor, he was thinking of uh, the Assyrians or Syrians in his day and maybe that was perhaps what he was referring to and Paul when he was making this description and using this allegory, maybe he was thinking of the Romans and, and a lot of shields and and uh, helmets that you see and all of these things, it's, it's really the uh, depictions of Roman uh, armament. And uh, matter of fact, uh, the one that I'm using here, that's probably more what uh, a Roman would use, a centurion would use. And so uh, we understand that this is where they're getting their analogy. And uh, we're talking about spiritual armament, of course. Uh, but uh, when, when a breastplate was was put on, uh, it required the help of somebody else to fasten it from behind. Because obviously a man uh, is limited in what he can do. And so when he puts it on, it required uh, a little study that I've done. It required help from somebody else. I'm going to tell you to live a righteous life. You still need preaching and teaching from the Word of God to be able to live 
The Bible talks about instruction in righteousness. That's what the Word of God, amen, is divinely inspired to give us instruction in righteousness. Somebody's got to stand up and preach to you. Somebody's got to stand up and look you in the eyeball and say, you know what? There's some things we don't do. There's some places we don't go. There's some language we don't use. Amen. There's some things that a Christian cannot be involved in. Amen. That is called being helped to put on that breastplate of righteousness. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. And so it doesn't matter how good you are. Don't talk talk to me about how good you are with your shield of faith. Because it doesn't matter how strong you are. We're in a battle where everybody is going to find times when they're weak. They're going to find times when they don't have strength. They're going to grow weary. And if you got that breastplate on, amen, if you've adhered to the preaching of the Word of God, if you follow the instructions of righteousness, you'll be able to withstand in that evil day. You'll be able to find strength in that evil day. You'll continue to to survive when everybody else is falling around you. That's right. And I noticed here, and I don't have time for all of this, perhaps later I could talk more about this Christian armament, but I noticed here that there's one article that Isaiah talks about that Paul does not talk about. And there's items that Paul talks about, of course, that Isaiah did not get into. But there's one thing that stands out to me. He talks about being clothed in vengeance. The Christian, the child of God, is never allowed to put on the clothing of vengeance. You can never put on the cloak of vengeance and take vengeance into your own hands. Because the Bible clearly says that vengeance is the Lord's. Amen. we got to be able to trust God. Be willing to put it in the hands of God. Not let the sun go down on our wrath and say, God, I'm not going to. The Bible tells me that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I can't have wrath in my heart and continue to be righteous. Amen. If I'm going to keep my integrity, if I'm going to stay righteous before the Lord, i got to get rid of that. i got to forgive that. i got to let that go. And I've got to say, God, it's in your hands. You're the one that vengeance is allocated to. You've reserved vengeance for yourself. I can't take vengeance in my own hands. Hallelujah. Praise God. But then he talks about this, and it's in Isaiah, and it's also here in the Christian armor that we're talking about in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6. He talks about this helmet of salvation. And we don't talk a lot about that. You know, and matter of fact, probably a lot of folks don't completely understand what that means when it talks about the helmet of salvation. Well, I'm not sure that I am able to clearly uh, identify all aspects of it, and, and that's not really my goal here this morning, but I just felt so deeply in my heart to talk about this. A helmet guards the most vital element of the anatomy. And that is the head, the cranium. You know, you, you might be able to survive without an arm. You may be able to live without a leg. You can live with one eye. You can live with both eyes being put out. You, you can survive without a lot of things. But you cannot survive. Amen. You cannot function normally if, if that, that brain, your mind, is not intact. And so 
we know that there's several scriptures, and we don't deal with it a lot. But uh, I think it's time, too, in these last days to talk about how the, the, the aspect of the mind when it comes to salvation. I'm going to tell you, when you are saved, when you repent of your sins and you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins, I truly believe what the Bible says, that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things, or all things rather, are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I truly believe that. That doesn't mean that uh, whatever your weakest link was in the world, that you don't need to keep that saturated and consecrated in prayer. And you need to, you know, if you had a weakness or propensity in some area, that you don't uh, need to stay away from those folks and those people and those things that would lure you back in. Because that might be something that, uh, uh, at least in your your uh, your flesh, that you had the propensity for. And if you're not if you're not living for God and serving God and truly uh, endeavoring to walk with God, those things have a way of cropping back up. Because when a person is saved, it's almost like the tree has been cut down, but there's still a root system that is there in the soil. And if you put enough water and enough sunlight and uh, the photosynthesis begin to work, uh, it won't be long to that thing will shoot up and begin to grow. The Bible even says in the book uh, of Jeremiah, I believe it is, uh, that though that though that, that the root be dead in the ground or the stump be dead in the ground, if it gets the scent of water, then it it would begin to grow and begin to flourish again. When it looks like there's no hope for it to live again, it can begin to live again. So it becomes our responsibility to make sure that the things that God has helped us to cut down and cut out of our life stay amen, completely. We stay completely dead to those things. Hallelujah. That we keep them under the blood. That we don't allow them to grow again. We don't allow them to flourish again. You say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so one of those areas of access that the enemy tries to use, of course, is the mind. And we don't talk about that in regards to redemption and salvation as much as we should. But the Bible does say in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is acceptable and the perfect will of God. Hallelujah. I've come to preach to somebody that if you want to do the will of God, if you want to serve God, you can. But you've got to allow yourself to be renewed from time to time and refreshed from time to time. Come on, this experience of the Holy Ghost is not something that just happened to you 20 years ago and you put it aside and you just wait until the rapture takes place. No, you've got to be renewed. You've got to be refreshed. You've got to have a renewing in your mind. You've got to get your thinking cleared out every once in a while. Because we're, we're daily encountering things that are attack against the mind. You guys so graciously gave me a gift on Father's Day. Or maybe it was my birthday. Man, it's amazing how everything runs together these days. But anyway... I, I so much appreciate it. I, I was showing it off yesterday. Brother Wesley, he brought a, so kind to bring a picnic table to me. And he had built, and, and uh, we were unloading it. And I, I said, hey, let me show you my bike. 
and I bought a mountain bike. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm learning. I hadn't got quite figured all out yet, just yet. I found out I'm not near as courageous as I thought I was. They got these ramps, man, that goes up on the side like that. I'm thinking, those guys are riding that thing. And I just don't have the courage to do that just yet. Because, you know, I'm fragile. <laughs> but, but when I went and purchased the bike at the bike shop, I uh, got it all lined out. And I, you know, I was really concerned about getting the right bike and, and the right one for me. And, and, then, and then, of course, the... Uh, the money becomes an issue and you, you're trying to get the cheapest and the most for the cheapest and all that kind of stuff. And so we negotiated and we got this bike and I was really focused on the bike and he said, do you have a helmet? I said, well, you know, honestly, I hadn't thought a lot about a helmet. He said, well, you better think about it. He said, because you can have this beautiful machine right here. He said, but the most important thing is if you're going to ride this thing is that you have a helmet, and he started showing me all this clothing that they have, this protective gear. You know, you can buy these pants that have, which I can't wear those pants, but they got that, they got that inner lining padding down them. He said, if you decide you really like falling, you said you need some of these pants. And I said, well, I don't like falling, and I don't plan on falling. He said, but the thing you need more than any, you know, you can survive with some scrapes and some elbows with road rash on it. You could survive with all that, but one thing you may not survive is a head injury. So you need to get a helmet. And he said, let me take you over here. And that's one of the things that I purchased. Because if you're going to take a bike journey, you need a helmet. And the same is true with construction. You know, OSHA comes out on construction sites, and they want to make sure everybody has a helmet. And it's not just any helmet. You know, you know, uh, there are certain states that have a law uh, for motorcycle riders to have a helmet. And I know you guys, some of you guys chafe at that, but you better wise up and get you a helmet. Brother Eddie. Get you a helmet because you can survive some road rations. Some of you have. But you cannot survive a head injury. Yeah. And there are certain helmets that are decorative. Man, they look good, but they're they're not ones that that pass, what is it, the DOT uh, that certification that are protective gear that these these helmets uh, uh, these are these are certified and these will protect you in case of a fall and you know he said if you're really going to go out there and do some extreme stuff which he could tell by looking at me that I wasn't going to do that he said you need to get a full face helmet I said a full I've heard about that on a motorcycle but a bicycle I mean a full face helmet what are these guys doing and then he showed me what some of those guys were doing. And I said, I can see why they need a full face helmet. Because when you do a face plant out there on the ground somewhere, you'll be happy that you had a full face helmet. In other words, you need that gear 
to be able, if you're going to take a bike journey, if you're going to take a motorcycle journey, if you're going to work on certain construction sites, you don't need something flimsy. You don't just need something to, that's decorative. You need something that will protect you. What I want to tell you, when, when it comes to the subject of salvation, you don't need some little flimsy thing. You need to make your calling and election sure, as I talked about Wednesday night. You need to know that what I got is going to see me from this earth to glory. What I got is certified. What I got lines up to the Word of God. What I got is a true experience. It's not something that somebody just sold me at a bargain basement price. Oh, it wasn't just something that I did, amen, because of a high emotion. But I received something. I got an experience in the Word of God. I want to tell you what this Bible says in order for you to get the helmet of salvation that I'm talking about. You have to come to an altar. You have to repent of your sins. You must, amen, be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of those sins. And you must receive this wonderful experience of the Holy Ghost. That'll protect you. Amen. That'll keep you. Amen. That will help you in these days that we're living in. Why don't you stand to your feet with me right now. Let's lift up our voice to the Lord. Come on, let's lift up our voices to the Lord. The helmet of salvation. He said when he comes as our example, he's going to be wearing the helmet of salvation. Again, he faced everything. Come on, there's nothing coming that he didn't face, and there's nothing that is in the past that he hasn't faced. He's dealt with it all. I find instances in the Word of God where the devil tried to get in the head of Jesus, if you will. In those wilderness temptation moments, he said, If thou be the Son of God. Cause these stones to be made bread. You know, he had the power to do that. He said, it is written. If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Angels will bear thee up. He said, it is written. If thou be the Son of God, worship me. I'm going to tell you there's an enemy that's trying to get in the head of people. He's trying to change people's thinking. That's why we got to do what the Bible says and put on Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. We got to get this helmet of salvation and we got to make sure we got to make sure that it safely fits. We got to make sure and certain that we got it on. We can't survive without it because in this world, amen, there's so much opportunity for for the enemy to try to bring an attack against people in their minds. I've known people that that started out so right, but some kind of false doctrine, some kind of heresy, somebody persuaded them of something other than the truth. And it was like, no matter how much you came and debated from the Word of God and showed them the correct and, and the truth of God's Word, it couldn't be pried out of their minds. It, it got rooted so deeply in their minds. That's why we need the helmet of salvation. Hallelujah. 
fears and depression and anxiety running rapid in this world. People are trying to cope with it. The opioid crisis. Prescription drug crisis that is going on in this world. All the more reason why we need the helmet of salvation. We need a renewing in our minds that we may prove that acceptable and perfect will of God. I wonder if there's somebody who wants to come to this altar and say, God, I need you to help me. I want to secure that helmet of salvation. Come on. I want to be renewed and refreshed in the power of the Holy Ghost. I need the Lord to touch me yet again this morning. Hallelujah. I need the Lord to move upon my heart yet again today. Minister to me yet again. What I've got, I want to keep. And so I'm coming back, and I need you, Lord, to help me again today and move on my heart again today. Oh, don't let the enemy trip you up in your thinking. Don't let the enemy get in your head. Don't let the enemy disturb your mind and get you off track. Oh, no. Get that helmet of salvation on. Get that helmet of salvation on today. That's a part of it. Yes, we need our feet shod with the gospel, preparation of the gospel of peace. Yes, we need to make sure we got the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in our hand. Yes, we need that shield of faith, and we certainly need that breastplate of righteousness. But don't forget the helmet. Come on. When you come to God, when you make this purchase, don't forget the helmet. You're going to need it on the journey. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, mighty God, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus.